Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Lessons of the Woods by Ten Point Whitetails. I'm your host, Dylan Porter, and with me I have our co-host and good person to be around most of the time, Kyle Weber. <laughs> I'm going to come up with something. There's one podcast I listen to where he always calls his co-host a generally useful human, and I just think it's funny. Uh, so we'll come up with something at some point. But anyway, this will be our last segment talking about the 10 points of 10 Point Whitetails. So anything after this is going to kind of be a wild card. We don't know what we're talking about yet, but it's going to be something fun. Uh, probably get some guests on at some point. we got a few people we've been talking to. Uh, so yeah, today we're going to be talking about uh, stand placement. Then we're going to go into the plan, how to put, put all this 10-point stuff together. And then we'll see where we go from there. So Kyle, do you want to lead off with stand placement? Anything you want to go go for with that? Well, standpoint, stand placement is really important when it comes to all of the points up until now because every question that every point that we bring up that we focus on that answer reflects on 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 the stand placement so you want if you have your deer patterned if you have your food plots if you have um your bedding areas, like all of the, you're now you're all of that is done. Now you're looking at where am I going to put my stands? Wits end, um, we have our big Titan blind on the big food plot. Mm-hmm. That is easy access from the south. So generally, any wind is good for it. Um, that stand as it sits there, it's a 35 yard shot straight across to the other side of the food plot. It's a 30-yard shot to the right, and if we were to shoot off of or over the pond, it'd be about 40 yards. Mm-hmm. So that's why that that stand is specifically there for those distances. The food plot was designed that size for those distances. Um, the other stand I have on the micro plot where I shot my first eight-pointer last year, that's on a, just a natural corridor, natural edge. All these deer on the big food plot at this time they work their way down and they're going to go to the bedding. That's a perfect spot. Mm-hmm. But more importantly than like what tree they're in or where they're at on the, on the property. Uh, we talk about placement as far as angle. Mm-hmm. I'm right-handed. I draw back with my right. So my tree stand always has me turned slightly this way, even though the direction of the deer path, the trail, the bait, the block, whatever you're using I want him to come from my left. I don't want him to come from behind me. So you don't want to be like, you know, all the way over this way. You want to be <laughs> semi-turn. Yep, yep. But it allows for a draw and then you get a continuous shot, hopefully, through basically, let's say, I don't know, 8 o'clock to noon, being right-handed. Now, if you're left-handed, you're going to face the other way. And you're going to want to plan for that also. Um, I love a tree that's got some back cover of it. So a deer's eye, I don't want to say is a panoramic view, but a deer's eye is like 2060 vision, I believe. 2060 vision means it can go kind of broad. So where eyes, our eyes are straight forward and ahead. Mm-hmm. A deer's eyes here can see straight forward, but can also panoramic all the way over to you know here. That's why their vision's so good. But with that 2060 vision, they lose some of the sharpness. So they can't pick outlines as nice as, you know, we can. Mm-hmm. 
So what I like when I set up my tree stand, I don't necessarily need to be in a big pine tree where I'm covered. I don't need stuff here because that's harder to shoot through, harder to get some good shot angles. But having stuff behind you really breaks up your edge because they can't see that depth. So I'll always pick a pine tree or the tree in front of a pine tree. A crotch in a tree is always a great spot because they don't know if there's a branch. Um, one oak tree I set up in once, big old split. I was about 15 feet up in the air in a hangar, two branches going straight out that had nothing to help me. Mm -hmm. And I cut another branch and hung it between those two. So behind me was covered, broke up my outline. Yeah. Um, so we talked about tree stand placement. That tree was basically an open, wide open oak that you'd silhouette me against the sky all the time. But because of the way I set it up, I broke up my outline. Yeah, um, that, that silhouetting is awful. Even in a blind, if you can see through the blind yourself from the outside, you know, one window to the other, it's really good to, if you're going to use that location, there's no trees behind you, you know, if you're set up in a field or something like that, it's really good to put a a plastic bag or a window treatment, something on those back windows so they can't silhouette you. And they make window treatments that you can see through one way but not the other. And I haven't done this yet, but I've strongly considered it for a lot of stands because them catching you moving is the worst thing possible through those windows. Yeah, I mean, I specifically bought my Titan blind DIY, so there's no windows in it, and I bought it. A normal one can come with eight or four. Four gun windows or four bow windows, but the Pro is all eight windows, mm -hmm. 360, which is cool. If you're out in the middle of a field, you can spin around and, and shoot any direction. I bought the DIY, no windows, and I bought three windows, the front and the two angled on the sides. Mm -hmm. Now, that's so that it's black behind me. Nothing can silhouette me. I had my buddy go stand out in the middle of a food plot. I opened the windows. Can you see me? He's like, yes. I scooted back. Can you see me? He goes, no. And I'm, a, I'm in black, right? I'm mm -hmm. in black outfit. I'm like, can you see me now? He goes, no. I said, okay. So I can't lean way forward and have my head by the window because they can bust me. The sun's coming in, they're reflecting, the light's coming in. Mm -hmm. So I sit back in the corner. One thing I made a mistake with the Titan blind was, as it sits, let's just say it's perfectly straight north and south. My back's to the south, my face to the north. I can't quite see all the way down my berm on my left side. I have to actually lean a little forward to move. Mm -hmm. Now, the next time I have some equipment on the property, I'm gonna pick that stand up and turn it 12 degrees, to 12.5 degrees to the left so that my corner window can run up that berm my right window runs up that berm and I'm still looking straight at my food plot. Yeah. Because, and we'll talk about Ace, but Ace came in from my left. Unfortunately, I wasn't leaning in. I had deer in, so I wasn't leaning forward. I sat back like this and I had to have him get all the way up about to the middle before, one, I knew it was him. Mm-hmm. Confirm it was him, but also obviously take a shot. Yeah. So my stand placement technically isn't perfect, but it took me sitting in it for a whole season watching these deer interact, come in, come out, to realize not perfect. Mm -hmm. So Titan blind, um, my T are actually the TR, TR outdoor blind. Mm -hmm. Built on all four sides. I had burlap screwed all the way around, except for my front window. Now with just a hook, I can pull the burlap down mm -hmm. but that avoided silhouetting. Cause I felt like when I'm sitting there, everybody and their brother can see through and see each other and see me. And it's just like, 
it, it, I don't feel concealed at all. Yeah. So nothing like a big head movement, you know, a big frame right there. Yeah. Um, but other points to tree stands is the Titan blind is a very conservative spot. It's a short walk. I can get in really fast and quick. It's the best access. I'm in the blind. It's concealed, so I can't get... It really helped me with Ace because of the scent control because mm-hmm. I'm in a closed blind. When it gets to D-Day or, or prime time, I open the front window. The other ones are unlocked. So if I have to open the sides, I can do that. But I have to... Then that's something you have to do during a deer coming mm-hmm. in. So that's my very safe and conservative blind location. Same thing with the one... Um, where I shot the eight on that little micro plot. Very conservative, very easy to sneak in. It's a long ways from the bedding areas. I mean, we're talking 100, 150 yards from where we did some hinge cutting. Very conservative locations, very safe locations. There's not going to be a deer there early. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be a random deer bedded anywhere close to that. Very conservative. But depending on the season, you have to get aggressive. Mm-hmm. I have a hang-on stand where if I get into it, I can see inside the bedding. I can I can look over the brush. It's actually on the where we uh, took a bunch of pictures, Dylan. Okay. Where you we talked about those trails, and you're like, if he walks here, he comes through here. Like I can see over the brush, but they're bedding right there. Mm-hmm. Super aggressive. That stand placement is there. All the right things, location. I know where they're bedding. I know the wind direction. I know the weather. I know my access. All of all eight things at this point matter. Yep. But I'm really aggressive. If I get off work and it's three o'clock, I'm not going to that stand. Those deer could be up on all four, stretching, eating, browsing. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go in there at that time. That's a stand I get in there at noon, eleven. You know, and you you hunker down for because they're going to get up out of that bed. Um, and you want them, if they're laying down, if they hear you, if they figure out something's going on, four hours later when they get up for, for their, it would be their third feeding right at dusk, mm-hmm. uh, they're forgot, they've forgot that you're, you've been quiet for that long. Yeah. But that stand is very aggressive. That is a very aggressive location. Um, so, you know, another, another aggressive stand is on the north end. If I walk down my access on the north end, if the wind's coming from the south, I can get to the box blind. Super easy. Mm-hmm. It's on the right. It's flat. It's 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 the nicest way to get in, easiest walking. And then you look up this narrow trail, and you have this big food plot, a micro food, food plot. But they'll never know you're there. I don't bust anything. I don't got to go through anything serious. I'm basically on a road. Um but if you walk past there, go past the micro plot. Now we're in their bedroom. Now mm-hmm. we're getting into the, the bedding area. And you know this because the rubs are everywhere. The scrapes are everywhere. A big mature buck will trash his bedroom. He's like a 15-year-old boy. He will trash it. He's standing up. Besides the third feeding, that big mature buck will stand up, pick a look around, pick a tree next to his bed, and thrash it. Mm-hmm. And work on his neck muscles, his work on his his antlers, see what his antlers can do. He, he's going to work it. So if you're walking through uh, the woods and you get to some thick stuff and there's just buck rub, buck rub, buck rub, scrape, scrape, thrashing, mm-hmm. uh, tree that's really been worked over year after year, 
you're in his bedroom. You're there. Um, but if we go in there, I can get really tight to the bedding also. And the tighter you are to the bedding, if you don't spook them, the sooner you should see those deer. And, um, you know, the sooner you see them, obviously, the more aggressive you're being. Mm-hmm. But that can hurt you if you're not careful. But if that, if that bugger has been avoiding you all season, Rod, I would not be doing that. Rod, I would not be trying to get to his bed. He is all over the place. But if you're talking about, you know, after the rut, late November, early December, and you need, you want to harvest this animal, and you got to get aggressive, those tree stands are there. Mm-hmm. I know people do the hang and, hang and hunt tactic, and I like it because there's an element of surprise there. But I like having my stance soak. Now, I hunt on private. I have opportunity to hunt on private. So my my locations are picked out well earlier than deer season. So all my stands get to soak. Yeah. And I have all those stands set up for different situations. Um, so that's super helpful for me because that, that aggressive stands in there. All I got to do is decide to go sip. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and see, for me, I do like the... For rifle, I like the stands that soak. They're there, box stands, box blinds. Minnesota went, Minnesota hunting season is not always that warm. This year has actually been cold. Uh, I think yesterday there was 40-mile-an-hour winds. So it's nice to have those options. But for bow hunting, when I used to bow hunt really aggressively, and I hope to get back into it next year, I didn't have as much time this year as I wanted uh, to aggressively bow hunt. I made it out a few times, so I picked those stands that had been soaking. But to do that... One night, sit with a sit with a climber, see what you see, and pick up and move somewhere else. It's a lot of fun if you do it correctly, but you got to take things into consideration. Are you going to go hunt on a food plot with that stand? Probably not. Can you hunt a travel corridor that's not near the bedding, but in between the bedding and food plots or bedding and food source? Even if it's your neighbor's egg field, now you can take and pick a travel corridor. Uh, so one of my favorite hunts that I did out of a climber, I don't think I shot anything, but I saw a few deer. Uh, I set up on a corridor. There was a swamp on, there was a high spot in between two swamps. And then there was, a, there was deer moving through there back and forth between an oak grove and the other side of the road where the bedding was. So I set up on that high point and I had a few deer come through right in bow range, could have shot them. Just never didn't see anything I wanted to shoot, but it was a good sit because I could. I, I knew I picked a spot where I didn't want to leave a stand because it was in that one was state land, but I knew the deer were moving through there. So there is options, but you got to pick stand location on what you're going to do, whether it's on private or not. I've used climbers on private, and if it's a spot I like and it's easy to get to and it's not in that bedding area, it's not uh, going to disturb them. Then it will you sit there a few times like the spot now let's go put a ladder stand here because we've decided we liked it instead of committing to the ladder stand right away if that makes sense mm-hmm. you know, well gives you a yeah few I, mean, I mean a climber is easier to pack in even these these lighter hang-ons with the with the easy sticks i mean you can get them up pretty quick mm-hmm. so last year on the north end of the property i had a nice eight pointer probably the it was substantially bigger than the one i shot with my bow mm-hmm. and he, he popped up, I think, November 1st, around then. I think maybe even November 4th. Anyways, only time I got pictures of him was on a camera that I had to walk down right into the bedding 
I mean, to the right is the bedroom, left is the hill. Mm-hmm. And I got all the way down there, no bait, nothing. I just put a camera on this runway. And uh, I checked it one day. It timestamped me. And about 30 minutes later, here's that eight pointer. He had come out and was looking down the trail, probably watching me walk away. Mm-hmm. I started to hunt that deer very aggressively because out of all the cameras on the property, that was the only one that caught him. Mm-hmm. Only pictures I got of him were on that camera. So during gun season, I told my friend Corky that I know where he's at. I know where he's going. And I know that camera gets his picture every other day. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it was opening morning and gun season. I said, I'm going to go sit and carry my hang on in there. I'm going to hang up basically right above the tree or right above the the trail camera. And I'm going to shoot him. Like I got to figure it out. I'm being super aggressive, but I'm being very smart about my tactic. I get in, it's like actually what we're running into right now, which is a full moon. And I know everybody has this moon phase theories and whatnot. All I know is nighttime activity goes up with the moon with the full moon. It's all I know. It's all I'm going to believe. You see less during the day, more at night because of that. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I get in, I'm early. With my rifle, but I'm early. But I can see clear as day. We got a little bit of snow, and the full moon was out. And I could see, you could almost see fine. Yeah. Anyways, I'm an hour, hour 15 ahead of shooting light, shoot, legal shooting hours. Mm-hmm. But, I, but that's what I had to do because I know he's out. I know he's on a boat with the full moon. I need to get into his bedroom while he's out. Yeah. And then meet him, meet him back in the bedroom. Anyways, it is probably a good 30 minutes before light, and I hear a deer coming, and it's heavy. I watched that eight-pointer walk underneath my tree at five yards, and then walk straight down the trail away from me until he disappeared into the darkness, and there was nothing I could do. I couldn't legally shoot. Yeah. Had the rifle, put the scope on him, pointed at him. He helped. If I'd have racked the shell, obviously he probably would have heard that, but it was so close to Dale or so so dark still, I hadn't even racked a shell yet. Mm-hmm. Put him in the crosshairs, I could have I could have shot him easily. Yeah. Knew it was him. I counted the antlers because it was because of the full moon. So I did it right. He just came in 30 minutes early. If it had been 30 minutes later, it'd have been legal shooting hours. And it didn't even have to be that trail. It could have been the five trails coming around. But what I did was I got into his bedroom when he was out. And he did exactly what I hoped he would do just a little too early. That deer made it. I never, nobody, none of the neighbors shot him, and I, I didn't get another crack at him. So mm. he's one of those ones that once gun season happened, that first morning of all the chaos, he went back in there, and he he didn't move. He, yeah. he hunkered down, probably tried to starve for seven to eight days because he's not going to move. And that's why he was bigger than, than the rest of them. So, yeah. um. But that's a tactic of, you know, basically a hang and hunt. I knew where he was, but I needed the time to be right. I needed the day to be right. I had to be super aggressive, and that's not always going to work. No. So you do get the element of surprise. Mm-hmm. He's never seen a stand there. He's never looked in that tree. He's never – nothing's ever happened there. Why are you in here? You do get an element of surprise. And I've been more successful not in a hang and hunt. In the in the stands at Soak, I, I mean, we've had – many hunting uh blinds or tree stands or 
my homemade tree stands at are permanent. They're set with four telephone poles six feet in the ground. They're not moving. Permanent stands. And we had ladder stands or uh, we had a platform stand for a long time. And actually, we're going to talk a little bit about that in our next podcast. Uh, hunting a stand that's been good for a very, very long time. And that's where I got my buck this year. So I've been more successful in those spots where we've left stands, but we've left stands there because they're successful spots. And also based on different factors, and we'll cover some of that. Spoiler, we don't want to do any spoilers for the next episode here, but we're going to talk about the hunts that we've had. And hunting a travel corridor is one of my favorite things to do, and we'll discuss that. Uh, Next episode, catch us next week, 7 p.m. Friday, you catch us. Uh, Anyway, so... Stand placement is very important and learning all this about your property, setting your property up for this allows you to hunt those travel corridors, allows you to hunt those food plots and you build all of this with your stand location in mind, if that makes sense, right? We got to weave it all together. Yeah. I mean, you've just gone through one through eight, answered all these questions. Now you're standing on your property, you've made a plan and now you're like stand location and there's so many things to consider. Where are the deer? Where do you want to be? How do you get in there? Mm-hmm. Um, you can do things off of food plots, 50 yards. That's super successful if you know how they're coming into the food plot. Um, you know, you got those draws, but um, you got to weave. Yeah, you got to weave it all together. You got to create every every step, every point to the 10 point system complements each other. Mm-hmm. And you can't, number one, answered doesn't make number two's answer and make number three's answer it's like they're all variables and you have to like decide on their importance access is limited to your access mm-hmm. I mean, you only have so much control over that um your ability to build food plots or not hunt on food plots like tree tree stand placement with no food plots you have to look at corners mm-hmm. saddles edges um there's a reason why you're saying one tree stand's been always really good something naturally happens in that spot that makes it successful although i think that information can be flawed because if you sit in one tree stand 100 times and sit in another tree stand 20 times the one with 100 sits is most likely going to be more successful so there's that data can be argued Mm -hmm. but the reason it's successful is because somebody had good luck yep more people wanted to sit there. They had good luck, and that reciprocates to making that tree stand good. Something natural is happening on the on the deer side of it, on the land side of it, on the food side of it. And I'm talking no food plots. You guys can't bait in Minnesota. Nope. But you also don't have any food plots where you're hunting, correct? The particular stand I shot my buck out of, no. So... So that he wasn't going on something that we created that we created at Ten Point Whitetails. That was just a natural corridor, a natural thing. Mm-hmm. That is saddles, corners, edges, pinch points, water issue, you know, water pinch points, stuff like that. That those natural things. And once you find them, you should put a tree stand there. Once it works, you should keep one there. Yep. Um, because there's these generational tra- trails uh, where the deer have used this trail for the last 200 years in this area and it might not even make sense for them to use that but there can be these generational trails where they're six to eight inches deep but that's just where the deer always travel so those work too 
if you got them. And uh, and to think about it, those those generational trails. That deer is moving. He's browsing. She's mm-hmm. browsing. So the growth doesn't happen there. That natural like shelter, that little cove that they have to walk through, is because they're nibbling on the ends. Mm-hmm. Nothing's growing in, so it doesn't get thick. So everything gets thick around, and they have these meandering trails through there. It's just, it's it's a natural creation of the deer, you know, doing their thing. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, I was gonna say something good too. I think or controversial. <laughs> But um, maybe it'll come back to me. Didn't mean to make you lose your train of thought there, but that's not uh, not your fault, if <laughs> anything. Um, but it it can be challenging when you t- take elements like food plots out. Food plots yeah. and bedding create patterns, which you can set tree stands up for for those patterns. That's really yeah. extremely helpful. But if you're public land hunting. Those edges are super important. And then that element of surprise from a hanging hunt mm-hmm. can be super beneficial. Finding those um, natural tra- travel patterns, those corridors, locations from one fo- from bedding to food source, because they exist in the public. It's just finding them and being the only person on them. That's yep. the key. So my big food plot in the middle. Mm-hmm. The deer come in three different ways. Technically, I could hang and hunt a hang on within 25 yards of each one of those trails in 50 yards deep. Mm-hmm. And I could still shoot the same deer that I would shoot from the food plot because then one of the ne- food plots condense all the, the movement. Yep. They're going to access from three spots. Mm-hmm. I know that I can, I can guess that. Um, but you can watch and I do it with the trail cameras a little bit. I'll remember where the trail camera is, where it's facing. Mm-hmm. If the first picture of a deer is its butt, it's safe to assume he came from behind you. Mm-hmm. He's walking past your camera and coming out. Okay, he's coming here. Good to know. If every time you have the face from the food plot, kind of like your rub joke, mm-hmm. you know, or your your rub tactic. Yep. If they're if I have my camera catches their face every time, they're already on the food plot walking off. Mm-hmm. And I know that because their face is there first. Um so that's, as in, and videos always help too. These tactic hands with the videos now is, is amazing. It tells you so much more than a picture does. Mm-hmm. But if you can do that research during the summer, where the August, September time, you can know, for example, spoiler, Ace, I knew what trailer he was going to come down. He's come down it the six times he's visited. He's come down that same way, that same trail six times. Mm-hmm. He came down that two two weeks ago. Yeah. So if he comes there in September, he's most likely going to come there in October when you want to hunt him. Or all that pressure from the gun season comes around, he's going to go to his safe zones, his mm-hmm. natural trails, his comfortable areas, and come down that same trail, most likely. Mm-hmm. And you can predict and pattern his movement via... Um, trail cameras and knowing what trails they come down yeah so then you can plan your stand if he's not coming out on the food plot till dark 30 you can't get him during legal shooting hours maybe you do set that tree stand up 50 yards on that trail back in the woods it's about 10 minutes for 100 yards for a meandering deer in the woods yep so if he's there at dark you need you know and you need to beat him by 10 minutes you need to go 100 yards in mm-hmm 
Now, there's always this conversation that deer will come out to a food plot or come to an area like that, a bait pile, whatever, uh, uh, brush down corridor, shooting lane, whatever. They'll, pull, they'll come up and they'll stop. And that'll actually halt them for a timeline. So you maybe don't need to go 100 yards back. You can go 50 yards back and still catch them on the hoof 10 minutes early. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, you just got to get ahead of the deer. You got to think, you got to be smarter than the deer, which isn't too terribly difficult, but it, it seems to be difficult at times. We'll have a talk about that one day. Uh, yeah, so getting ahead of the deer that you're you're looking at. So weaving this all together, using a 10-point system to design your property for your permanent stands, your food plots, your bedding, and putting that all together is excellent. You're going to get a good crack at a lot of deer, but you need to be prepared if you have a buck like Ace or like somebody else that's coming in late and they're not getting there on time, the time that you're able to shoot, if they're getting there after dark, be prepared and have a plan in mind for, okay, he's coming in from the south, there's good trail to the south, there's good trees to the south, let's put a stand, we, we can throw a hang on stand up real quick to the south and catch him coming in 45 minutes before he gets to the food plot, still in daylight. And you can set these stands up, you can do a hang and hunt, you can let these stands soak. And if they work, mm-hmm. leave them. If if they don't, don't be afraid to move them. If you sit in a tree stand and two nights in a row, your target buck or a bunch of does walk down a trail that's 60 yards away through the woods and you see them go right by you. And two nights in a row, you go, okay, that same trail, they just mm-hmm. did the same thing. You may be on a good trail, but you may have missed the main trail. Yep. And there might be a lingerer that comes on trail. So the next day, drop your stand. Obviously, if it's not a ladder stand or a box blind, you want you know these hang these hang-ons. Mm-hmm. And go over to that and sit 30 yards off that. If you, Let the woods, let the deer tell you. Mm-hmm. Craziest thing in the world is that the deer at my property come from my right side. There's mm-hmm. no reason for them to come from there. Yeah. Everything over there is designed not to have the deer. I I think they come up from the micro plot, weedle, weasel their way up in here, I, I think. Yeah. But let the woods tell you what's happening. If you're in a tree stand and it's the best tree in the world and it works, but the deer are 60 yards away, don't be scared to move it. Mm-hmm. Pack it up, move it over there the next day, and if the deer show up over on that trail, figure it out. But, Set up in the uh, middle. Set up in the middle, definitely, and that, and that's that's when you can use them tactics for grunting, mm-hmm. rattling, sense. I mean, whatever you legally allowed to do it in your state or in your county. But let the woods t- tell the story. Let the deer tell the story, because they're creatures of habit. We've talked about conditioning deer. We've talked about talked about pattering deer. Let the deer tell you the story. They're gonna do it again. Mm-hmm. Might not be often. It might not be able to be every day, daily. But those deer, like Ace, I mean, I I left that night. I looked at my wife, and I was like, I'm going to kill him tonight. And she's like, no. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to kill him tonight. I, I am 100% sure if he is, I'm 100% sure he's going to come from this way. He's going to come in, and barring a, a shot, opportunity, or a good shot, I'm killing him. And to have that confidence to go sit and know all of that stuff's kind of already been done, mm-hmm. I got to sit back and just be like, when's he going to do it? 
yeah. you know? So um, don't be afraid to move your tree stands. Don't be afraid to adjust. But if it's working, let it soak. Enjoy it. Keep keep pounding that tree stand, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and that's the plan. That brings us into um, number 10, Yeah. right? Which is planning. And to make your plan for your property uh, or have us make your plan for your property, we need to consider all of these things. We need to consider all 10 of the points, which I can't remember what they all are right now, but you're pulling it up. I'm going to say, I want to say them in order. I got them memorized, but I want to say them in order. So, um, so we're talking about the plan, right? Mm -hmm. Now the plan needs, we've, you have to talk about what goals you want Mm -hmm. for you and your family and your hunting parcel. What goals do you need from that? Where you set up the bedding or where you know they're bedding, Mm -hmm. what kind of food they have on the property whether it's food you've made from food plots, baiting, or natural browse, um, how you're going to get in or out with access, weather, when when do you hunt, how do you hunt the weather, mm-hmm. um, pressure from hunters and and uh, predators, predators and everything and, else, and everything else that's going on, signs, let the woods tell you what's going on, where these deer are, mm-hmm. patterning, getting a conditioning your deer and patterning your your deer so you can semi-predict when and how things are going to happen and then where to put your stands to base based on all of those and how, how to make an effective kill that makes your plan and you have to put all of that information together and not one answer dictates the rest of them it all has to kind of flow together if you have number if you only have one access which is number four Mm-hmm. That's a pretty easy answer. You park here, you walk in here, that's what you have. But that'll decide number two, number three, uh, number seven, number eight. I mean, so that weighs in on that. If you have no food and you can't plant food plots, then you need to hunt your bedding areas. And, and each answer affects each one. And if your goals are this compared to this, if you want to harvest one deer a year, you have a lot more flexibility. You want yeah. to harvest five deer a year at five different locations. You're going to have a. You're going to have to do more things within that property. Mm-hmm. So, all nine points of our ten point system all have to come in. They all carry the same weight. They all carry the same priority. Some things are uncontrollable, mm-hmm. like like the access and stuff like that you get what you get and, and you can't throw a fit about it, but not, not one stumps the other. So yeah. you mesh all nine of those together. And what we love to do is we take all that information and we take the parcel that we're actually talking about hunting and we make a plan. Mm-hmm. And we love to create this thing that can potentially give you the best habitat, best deer hunting experience off your property. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, in northern Wisconsin, in the big woods country, a 120-inch deer is beautiful up here. I'm not going to be able to compete with Buffalo County. It's just not going to happen. But being able to harvest a three- to four-year-old deer 
that scores 100, 120 inches, 140 inches maybe, that's just as successful as these guys in Buffalo County shooting 200 inches. See, let me go on a rant. <laughs> your your plan is what we can, what we like to do is putting all this information together and making a plan on a parcel. That's what we're doing. We're taking all the information, putting it in a parcel, running with it to help you have the best experience on a hunting land. It would be really easy for Dylan and I to take our, all our money, go down to Iowa, buy a big chunk of property that's all egg, send it to, a, you know, lease it out to a farmer. He plants and harvests all of it, and we hunt a, a 10-acre part, part of woods that holds 100 deer that eat out in that egg field every night. The industry has taught us, shown us that that's the easy way to make television, podcast, TV. The number one question you should have is, am I calling these consult consultants? Do they hunt where I hunt? Do they hunt like I hunt? Mm -hmm. I can go to Buffalo County and go, you have 70 acres of corn. You have 10 acres of hardwoods. I'm going to put the tree stand in the hardwoods because they're kind con they're condensed in there. You know, there's a high volume of population in there. It's really easy. It's not really easy, but it's very much more simplified in those kind of situations. Dylan and I do not have that privilege. Public land for the most part, 2,000 acres, 3,000 acres, you said? Yeah, about 2,000 acres where we're at. I annexed the National Forest by me, 12,000 acres. It's big, mature woods. Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard, and it's heavily pressured, too. So... When you're looking for consultants, you can call a lot of these guys that are big, flashy, advertising and marketing, et cetera. But are those guys going to build a plan that really works for a parcel that you hunt? Do they hunt where you hunt, how you hunt? Um, that's really that's a really good big factor for you. We're going to take the plan based on what we've, we've experienced with the difficulties we've experienced. We're relatively low impact. I have done some big work with some big heavy equipment to build my food plots, but I'm going to manage it with a side-by-side -side and a disc. Mm -hmm. I'm going to manage it with a rake. That's just how I'm going to do these things. Um, we can operate that. We can build food plots. We cannot touch it with food plots. We can just build bedding, build trails. Um, me and uh, a buddy, Nathan, took a side-by-side, -side, a sawzall, and a chainsaw, and cleared a trail. That's about as low impact as possible. And we use battery tools, so it's semi-quiet. Um, but when it comes to a plan, you take all of these factors, what we like to focus on, which is the nine, build number 10, which is a plan for, for our environment. Mm -hmm. not, not Buffalo County, not Ag, not Kentucky, not Ohio, not any of these other ones. We're talking Northern Minnesota, Northern half of Minnesota, northern half of wisconsin that's that's where we can focus and that's where we will do the best work for ourselves and for for clients and, and properties that we work on um up here mm -hmm. so yeah thank you let me <laughs> so long story short we've been there done that let us come help you figure out how to set your property up best because we know how to hunt that type of property. The northern half of Minnesota, northern half of Wisconsin, that's the type of areas we've hunted. 
Now, that's not saying we can't do something farther down south because deer are deer and a lot of that's the same. But we have experience in these big woods. We have experience with this not necessarily being able to put a food plot in or putting in a micro plot. We have that experience. So let us use our experience and our knowledge and our combined 40 years of experience with white-tailed deer to help you set up your property. And that's, I think, a boiled-down mission statement as much as we can. Yeah, I mean, you can look at a lot of these consultants. After they get semi-big or semi-busy, like, they'll leave Michigan. Why? Because it's really hard in Michigan to shoot a deer. Mm -hmm. They leave northern Wisconsin. Why? Because it's really hard to shoot a deer. Same thing with Minnesota. Everybody goes south to the egg, Mm -hmm. and that's where a lot of this industry is functioning. It's the Midwest, and that's great. But us upper Midwest, we can't be forgotten. All of us hunters, the 600,000 hunters in Wisconsin, and I don't even know how many are in Minnesota. How many? 300, 450? Yeah, probably right in there. We're still there. And all of those hunters are perfectly capable of doing a property like us. We don't have thousands of acres. Mine's 94, and mine's a big chunk. Mm -hmm. But I I consider it a big chunk. I know taxes consider it a big chunk. Um, (laughs) But it's really easy to drive down south and manage deer that way. When your your three year olds are 150 inches mm-hmm. and there's 15 deer per square mile, yeah, or, or or 150 deer per square mile, um, we have done it the hard way. I don't plan on moving. I don't think Dylan plans on moving from the northern Midwest. This is where we can be as experienced as possible, and this is where I think we have a benefit. People can look at my deer that I harvested, even your deer that you harvested. It's not that impressive. In the industry, it's not that Mm -hmm. impressive. But you go to any local bar, any local establishment, gas station, and you go, look at the buck I shot. They're like, whew, that's pretty good up here. Mm -hmm. Because we've been conditioned in the industry that if it's 200 inch or less, it's not that big. And I shot the biggest deer on my property that was a residential buck. You could maybe argue that yours was one of the bigger ones on that's a residential buck on your property. I think it's top to tell, top we'll, top three from what we've been seeing on cameras. So that's the goal. Anybody yeah. can do that. When you implement one through nine and make number 10, you follow our plan and you listen to every one of these podcasts and you take this information. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't apply to you, crumple it up and throw it away. If you're not going to build food plots on your property, fine. But listen to the rest of it. Mm-hmm. If you don't know how to hinge cut or don't want to hinge cut your trees, fine. Don't do that, but listen to the rest of it. And if this is stuff you're just like, I don't have a clue. I don't want to start and make mistake and, and go forward to go backwards. And you want to call us to help you. Not only will we make the plan, we'll go physically blood, sweat, and tears to your to whatever you want done to your property. We can do that. Mm-hmm. If you um, want us to, if if you want us to, we would be happy to do that. Some people come in, tell you what to do, and they're on to the next property the next week. We don't do three hundred properties. We do a select few. We have a select weekends. We have select weeks to do this. Mm-hmm. So we're only going to do so many, and it's it's filling up <laughs> for for uh, twenty three. So yeah. um, if you want us to, give us a call. Love to help. 
We can do even a over the internet one. We can look at Onyx, look at your mm-hmm. property. It's not boots on the ground, but it's relatively cost effective. And it can give you a head start. Yeah. And as we move forward with these videos and podcasts, we're going to do tutorials on hinge cutting, tutorial on tree stands. We're going to walk through deeper into wit's end to show you what we've done. We're going to get down to the nitty gritty. Yeah. Because bare minimum, what we want to accomplish here is education. There's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of good information out there. And we have good information to share. So bare minimum, we want to help teach what we know. So I think we're going to wrap it up there. We're running on doing pretty good at 45 minutes here. So what we want, you want to add? Yeah, I just what we want is when we walk out of there, whether we've done the consulting, the online Onyx, or boots on the ground and then and, and then building your property. When we leave, we want you to send us pictures of your success. We want to see your enjoyment. We want to see how much fun you've had, how much more your property has made memories for you for the lifetimes ahead or for just this year. We want to grow with you and grow that community um, in northern Wisconsin, northern Minnesota, because I think we're really forgotten uh, up here in the in the industry. So. Yeah, so give us a call. Shoot us a message on Facebook. Shoot us an email. Uh, you can find new episodes of Lessons of the Woods every week at 7 p.m. on Friday, unless something drastic happens. Almost didn't make one this week because deer hunting, but then we went to make one next week because deer hunting. So we're, we're sticking it out. We're making it work. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, TikTok, uh, Instagram, all at 10 Point White Tails, YouTube, 10 Point White Tails. Kyle's got a buck on camera right now on his food plot. There he is. He's been there for a while. Now you're showing the date today, too. It's November 7th, by the way, in case anybody's wondering when we we record these in advance. We're going to do live ones at some point. He's been there for a while. Good grief. Chill out, So this little buck, he's a little guy. Mm -hmm. He gets the pass this year. Has... He's loving it. He's on the north end, the south end, the east end, the west end, all (laughs) night. He is just hammering the food plots. And and, and he's doing that to check for does. Yep, we're right right there. And he's just doing circles and circles, daylight, night. He is active. If you're not in the stand right now. Well, not right now. It's dark. But if you're not in the stand (laughs) this week or the next week, get out there. It's happening. So. When this podcast gets posted, yesterday will have been the day. Thursday, in Minnesota, Northwest Minnesota, yesterday is the day. That's it. No further comment there. Anyway, like, share, subscribe. Best way you can support us. You got one more thing? And good luck to everybody that joined the Buckboard. Yes, uh, we did we have an actually, entry at this point. We, we have hopefully we have a couple when this goes out. Yeah, but uh, everybody that joined, thank you. Can't wait to give uh, all these uh, uh, gifts and donations and giveaways away. Plus first, second, and third. Um, it's been it's been fun. It's been a good first year. Lots of entries. Next year we're gonna do a better due diligence on getting it out and getting more gifts to give away. Mm-hmm. Thanks for everybody that jumped on it under short notice, and I can't wait to see how the bucks and see who wins it. Yeah gonna be awesome uh so yeah thank you guys for watching we will see you next week and yeah follow us on facebook everywhere else send us an email at 10 point at gmail.com i think that's the last one on there uh yeah so 
if you want to sponsor us, let us know. We'd like to sponsor these podcasts. Or have somebody sponsor them. Uh, maybe we'll get Wallhanger Tax and be back. We'll find out. So, thank I'm you guys very for watching. Well. we'll bug them. Thank you guys. See you next time.